all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today, I have Dr. Fiona Lewis. She has been on the show before, but if you've not caught her before, she's a registered dietitian. She is a trained chef and also has a doctorate in public health. She is a wealth of knowledge about how nutrition affects our overall uh, health and wellness. And today she's going to be helping me talk about how lifestyle, so not just nutrition, but lifestyle in general, impacts our risk of breast cancer development or reoccurrence. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we're in the, the last week of October. It's it snuck up on me being the last week of October this year has kind of flown by in terms of time, but I really wanted to make sure that we address this topic um, because it's so very, very important and it's something that a lot of people get, get confused about. So if you have a question or a comment for us related to uh, breast cancer prevention, uh, we'd love to talk with you today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email us at fit at mpbonline.org, or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie, and you can drop me a message there. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning, Dr. Josie. How are you? <laughs> I am doing well. I'm doing well. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately. Oh, wow. Well, first of all, I've been resting. Um, that's been my, uh, the past month or so, I have decided to take a little hiatus from all my uh, projects and just get some some rest and recalibrate. But um, prior to that, I've been doing my web show, Instant Recess, trying to encourage folks to get up and get moving throughout the day, do a little dance here and there. Um, and I combine that with a little bit of um, health education, nutrition education. Um, but I have a few things coming up because, you know, I couldn't really actually rest rest. <laughs> so um, 
I'll be sharing those with you um, when they're ready. But thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. You know, I can think of no one better to have on for this topic. I know you do a lot of education and uh, push a lot of information out about breast cancer and breast cancer prevention. Why is that so important to you? Like, why do you put out so much content about that? Uh, For me, because the risk factors, a lot of the risk factors are uh, modifiable. Um, You know, when I came to the field of public health, and just health overall. Um, I wanted to make sure that people understood they didn't either even need to die um, early, like an early death, or didn't even have to experience some of the um, health-related conditions that they usually have that will affect their quality of life. So I always want to promote prevention. So with breast cancer, it's the same thing. There's certain things that are just so... Um, so, so that we can leverage in our lifestyle to prevent and um, prevent breast cancer and actually reoccurrence and increase survival rates. So I'm always interested in whatever disease state or condition to talk about the preventive aspects and how easy and important it is to leverage our lifestyle to, to do that. Absolutely. And, of course, we know that's what this show is all about, is trying to kind of harness the power of lifestyle in the prevention or the prevent either the prevention of the disease entirely or the prevention of complications um, after a disease has developed. And you mentioned modifiable risk factors. What like what's a modifiable factor versus a non-modifiable factor? So, so age, for instance, let's talk about breast cancer. Age, for instance, let's say after the age of fifty, with the um, after the age of fifty or even um, genetics, you know, with, mm-hmm. the, with the genetic mutation. So those are non-modifiable. The modifiable ones are like uh, physical activity, my body weight, my use of alcohol and um, cigarettes or tobacco products, nutrition. So um, that's the difference. So modifiable means I have the power to control it, it and so... Um, I'm going to take advantage of that power. Absolutely. And, you know, just like you mentioned, age, we can't, we can't modify our age as much as we would maybe like to be a different age. Um, <laughs> we, can't, we can't change that, uh, you know, and genetic makeup as well is very, very um, c- considered non-modifiable. Now there's some emerging research about different lifestyle factors that can help right. kind of right. up promote some genes that are protective or down-regulate some genes that are, are not. But, you know, at the basis of it, most genetic things are, are what we consider non-modifiable, especially family history. You can't, you can't change your family, you know. Right. So, exactly. Um, since there are certain things that we know are linked to increased risk of disease, and in this case, breast cancer, um, and we can't change those. We want to focus on what we can change. And I think a lot of times people think that means they have to be perfect um, in looking at these factors that they change and that they have to do all of them in order to reduce their risk. And that's just simply not the case, right? Right, right. Um, to your point about the genetics, absolutely with the epigenetics that emerging research is, um, is strong, so meaning that um, – part of the way we live and, and um, behave in terms of health behaviors 
can actually promote or, or downregulate, you know, our risk for certain illnesses, breast cancer being that case. But absolutely, um, I totally agree with you when it comes to, um, to what you just mentioned. So I, for me, lifestyle is um, a lot of times we're undoing some of the things that would, would have come naturally to us. So, for instance, sedentary behaviors, um, you know, we're undoing those kind of sedentary behaviors where naturally if our society or, or environment promoted like it did in the early, you know, in the past in, in history where we moved more, now we have built environments and we don't necessarily move as much. So, for me, lifestyle um, is not as, or lifestyle change is not as um, difficult. It's, it's pretty much intuitive. It's just um, you know, some of the ways we become accustomed to living has, has made that a little bit more challenging. Yeah, it's it's become a habit to not do right. some of these things, you know, and there are certainly barriers placed for people, uh, you know, in eating a healthier diet, there are mm-hmm. there are barriers, and each person's barrier mm-hmm. Is, is different, you know. Um, it right. may be access, it may be cost, it may be knowledge and how right. to prepare those things. It may be a picky right. eater, you know, those different kinds of, uh, of things that all play into that. But we can work on those, right? And if right. our barriers in one particular area, let's say maybe it's nutrition, are that they seem kind of insurmountable at, at this point. You know, we don't feel like we can make a change in that. Let's pivot and work on some other part of lifestyle because any change is beneficial in lowering your risk for breast cancer. So before we kind of really dig into um, specific lifestyle modifications that have been shown to help with this, I feel like it's really, really important that we kind of step back and, and talk about Uh, screening for breast cancer. Um, That has been one of the the biggest contributors to the reduction in in breast cancer deaths over time is the regular use of mammography and breast cancer screenings. What has has me a little more concerned and, and most other healthcare providers concerned is the impact of the pandemic on, on cancer screenings in general, not right. just breast cancer screenings, but, but you know, uh, colonoscopies as well, um, these other preventive services, because when we, we had the initial lockdown, everything stopped. And then even when um, in-person healthcare visits started back, it was more, um, really, really essential or, or um, acute needs first and less on the prevention side. And so looking at the data back to kind of spring of last year, the, the percentage of, of mammograms that were completed was down by like 90%. And so that has, has rebounded, not back up to the to baseline of where we would like for it to be. There are still less people getting breast cancer screening than pre-pandemic. Um, for a variety of reasons, but that is something that needs to be looked at and addressed. And if it's kind of just that you've been hesitant to go back into the healthcare system, really talk to your healthcare provider about your concerns with that um, and ways that you can get scheduled to get back in and get that mammogram uh, done if you're past due for that or you're due uh, to, to have that upcoming. Because it really is um, a very, very valuable tool in catching um, breast cancer early 
which is directly related to uh, you know, how well you do with that and your uh, survival rate with that. So always discuss those concerns. I'm not um, kind of brushing those concerns aside. You know, I still limit where I go and what I do and those kinds of things. Um, but this is, is necessary. And so discuss that with your healthcare provider about how you, how you can get in and get safe. Um, because the healthcare system is doing lots and lots of great things to keep people uh, safe when they come in for preventive care visits. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and I'm joined today by Dr. Fiona Lewis, who is a registered dietitian and chef and just all around wonderful human being who has taken some time out of her day to help us talk about uh, lifestyle modifications as they relate to breast cancer prevention. And and before the break, I was really um, kind of pushing out the information that if you are behind on your breast cancer screening to really go ahead and call your healthcare provider and get back in for that. Um, if you maybe delayed it due to, uh, to the pandemic, please go ahead and get that taken care of. So when we're looking at breast cancer and we're talking about prevention, there's really several different kinds of prevention we're talking about. There's primary prevention, which is kind of focusing on preventing the disease from ever occurring. Um, there's secondary prevention, which is trying to screen for it or catch it early. And then there's tertiary prevention, which is looking at um, any um, uh, kind of reoccurrence of breast cancer or um, increasing the chance of survival, survivability with that. And so I would love to focus a little bit on primary prevention or preventing it from, from ever happening and some of the lifestyle things that we can do to help lower our risk of breast cancer. And diet is one of those things that comes to the forefront. And it usually um, is then kind of co-squished. That's a very, very scientific word. Co-squished with talking about weight and, and um, overweight and obesity. And if you caught the show last week, uh, we spent a, the entire show talking about kind of my top um, kind of healthy weight tips and ways to achieve um, a healthy weight in a sustainable manner. If you didn't catch the show, you can always go, um, go look us up wherever you get your podcasts and listen to us that way. Um, but if we're, we're thinking about it in terms of the multiple things that affect our weight and in terms of affect our risk of um, breast cancer, then diet or nutrition is certainly one of the things uh, that is most important. 
And when we look at what dietary patterns support healthy weight and then also have some evidence that they support the prevention of breast cancer, it is a plant-predominant dietary pattern. So, Dr. Lewis, tell us what a, what a plant-focused or plant-predominant lifestyle is. Sure, absolutely. So, um, incidentally, just to your point about getting your screenings, I was one of the ones behind and actually included my mammogram, got that done um, last month. So, I want to echo your sentiments around that. Just, um, you know, things are getting better, so let's go ahead and, and go ahead and get screened. But in terms of uh, plant-focused um, eating, and I love that you mentioned eating patterns and um, the fact that there's some eating patterns that actually uh, prevent or reduce the risk of uh, breast cancer as well as increase um, survival rates. Um, plant-focused just means I eat mostly foods that I've grown from the ground that I've minimally processed. So that would be fruits and vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds, seeds. Um, yeah. So one of the things I always want to call people or, or bring to the forefront when we talk about plant-based eating is that it's more of the, the plant foods and less of the uh, processed vegan meats because a lot of times people get that um, mixed up. They want to they do well. They want to eat plant-based. And so with all the marketing and the packaging and the promotions by different companies, um, there is a place for sort of vegan foods that are packaged, um, the meat analogs and so on. But what we're talking about is foods that are produce um, or eating patterns that are produce-heavy, they're produce-focused. Yeah, and and I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, not just because something is vegan or vegetarian does not equate to it being necessarily a health food product or healthy for us. Um, the kind of first step really when looking at diet or looking at nutrition patterns is how messed with is the food, right? Because we really want people to be eating, you know, food that is uh, kind of less processed. It doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, textbook perfect, but the less kind of processed things we can put in our body overall, the better we will be. And we'll put a little pin in that for a second because we do have a caller on the line that we want to get to. Uh, we'll go talk with Jerry in Bay Springs. Good morning. How can we help you today? Uh, I hope you can. I'm uh, mad at my wife right now. Oh, no. <laughs> she, uh, she had a mammogram appointment this morning, and it was a follow-up because she had one last Monday. And it's got me a little concerned because I don't know why she would be having a second one a week later unless mm -hmm. something screwed up on the first one or they saw something that they want to investigate further. Can you advise me on that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm a little limited in what I'd be able to, to say because I don't have that report in front of me to kind of see what the radiologist said on that. But it could be that the image was poor quality. Um, you know, they didn't get a, a good enough picture at the time of the mammogram to be able to, to kind of see everything they wanted to see, uh, especially if the breast tissue is kind of more dense. Sometimes you'll have, they'll have difficulty seeing all the things that they, they want to see in there. 
Um, there's also the potential that, you know, if she's had a, a vaccine recently, sometimes that will cause the, the lymph nodes on the side where the vaccine was given to kind of be a little inflamed and that'll show up on um, a mammogram and look a little concerning. And so sometimes they'll want to repeat that to, to see if that kind of was the case there. So without kind of knowing exactly what that report said, it would be difficult for me to, to say that it was, you know, just a, a repeat because they didn't have a good picture or whether they saw something that they were concerned about. Uh, but if they are recommending a repeat, then it certainly is uh, important that she go and do that. Well, my thinking on that is that the technicians do it a lot and they probably don't make too many mistakes. So I'm a little worried that might be something there that she needs to get attention to and i'm not sure because i know i think i've heard that some breast cancers are slow growers and some are fast growers so i'm not sure about that yeah there are absolutely different kind of different rates of speed depending on the location and the type of of uh cellular defect that's going on there um, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's the technician made a mistake, but like I mentioned, sometimes the breast tissue, they just don't see all that they need to see. And the um, the radiologist will request a different view or, you know, a different technique during the mammogram. So it does, it, it needs to be repeated. Um, but, you know, don't be mad at her. Just just talk with her about maybe why she didn't uh, want to go today and try and, and help her get back in. Okay. Well, we got it. <laughs> We're going to reschedule. Good, good, good. All okay, right, Jerry, thank, thank you. you so much for call. Absolutely. You have a good day. Yep. And if you yep. and if you guys listening have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven MPB ringing. All right, Fiona. Kind of pivoting back towards uh, diet, we were talking about kind of the difference between a vegan or vegetarian and a plant based diet. Really, at the heart of uh, plant based is the focus on the plant, right? So I don't want people to get super hung up in being perfect with a with a right. plant-based way of eating. Because what I am more interested in, in in dealing with any type of health condition and nutrition is that this is something that is doable for a lifetime. And when we put a lot of rules and a lot of restrictions um, and a lot of guilt with food, that makes right. it much less likely to be sustainable, right? Right, right. So what we're talking about is not that um, people should stop eating certain foods. I, I, I really try to be mindful about that, what you just said, um, Dr. Josie, to really play up the addition of the addition of yeah. these, um nutrient-dense foods, meaning the fruits and the vegetables and, and, and all those um, wonderful produce, so that it's, it's doable. You know, most people um, can add either a fresh or a frozen fruit or vegetable to what they're eating, um, can go dollar dining and, and find um, a frozen or frozen fruit or vegetable to add to what they're already eating. So as much as possible, starting where you are and making this sort of a sustainable change so that um, it works for you and your lifestyle and your budget. Yeah. And, and you mentioned dollar dining and, and I've done some, some posts on social media about you know, plant-based eating at the dollar store and it can be done. 
uh, those different mm-hmm. kinds of things there. But just like you mentioned, adding something to your plate. So kind of start with not even thinking about what you need to pull off your plate, but what you can right. add to it. Because as you add more plant-based foods or just plant foods, I, I kind of don't even want to use the word plant-based foods for the reason you mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's a buzzword these days, and every mm-hmm. package in the store has the word plant-based on it. While that excites me that people are interested in wanting to eat more plants, I, I would much rather them eat the actual plant and not some kind of squished together plant processed food. Um, but yeah. I'll, I'll kind of hush on that. So, you know, add more the more plants that we add to our plate, the less room we have for those other things because plants are so full of fiber. And fiber takes up a lot of room in your belly which helps you fill up faster. So, you know, just kind of adding that extra fruit or veggie to your plate is a great way to just kind of bulk up on something that's lower in calories. Now, one thing that I get asked a ton is, is there too much sugar in fruit? Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> we hear that a lot. And I'm not saying we yes, hear that a lot. I'm saying yes, yes, we hear that a lot. And yes. so the, the short answer to that is no. Um, when we're talking about fruits, they are a whole food if we eat them as a whole food. So going back to your point with fiber, um, fruits come in as a package. They come in as a whole package where there's um, the water content is high and the fiber content is high. So that when we eat our fruits um, in a state that is as natural as possible, so meaning not like uh, the canned um, peaches with in the light syrup. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the regular peaches. Um, as we eat that fruit, package come packaged with the fiber and um, often sunshine water, the way it's digested in our bodies, the, the release of the, the, the sugar, the fructose, um, for instance, is a lot slower and more sustainable. So we don't get those spikes. Um, I know a lot of people are scared about that in terms of um, you know, diabetes, but even if you're thinking about reducing the sugar in your um, your eating patterns because you're watching your weight in terms of breast cancer, um, that's the answer. The answer is that, you know, the food comes packaged with fiber and um, lots of the water content. And also, we don't want to miss the, all the vitamins and minerals and um, antioxidants, phytonutrients that come packaged in fruit. So please, eat your fruit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
Remedy. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me in the it, not in the studio, but by phone today is Dr. Fiona Lewis, and we are talking about breast cancer prevention today, in particular lifestyle strategies to help with that. So we do have a caller that has been holding for us, so we'll go ahead and say good morning to Aubrey. How can we help you today? Good morning. Thank good morning. So um, I've heard over the past, I know, I guess a couple of years of of a spike and increase in breast cancer in men. I was wondering if you might address uh, some factors in that. Absolutely. So I'm glad you brought that up because I always like to make sure we mention men as well. Um, breast cancer prevention tends to, you know, get a lot of focus on women, and that certainly is the the largest group that is affected by breast cancer. But um, breast cancer in men is uh, is uh, a problem and something that we see more frequently. I don't know if it's because the actual rate is increasing or we're just more aware of those types of things. But in terms of prevention, it follows along um, a lot of the same prevention strategies, uh, which include you know making these nutritional changes that uh, we've been talking about, uh, making sure that we're physically active as well, increasing uh, fiber and phytonutrients and those types of things. So while we don't talk about it as much, many of the same prevention strategies are the things that we want to uh, to do in men as well, as well as early, seeking early care if you notice anything, um, uh, you know, from a breast standpoint in men. Things that we look at are symmetry, right? So do we look relatively the same on each side? Now, especially in women, one breast may be a little bit bigger than another breast, but by and large, they are relatively symmetrical in terms of kind of how they, um, their, their position on the chest, as well as the position of the, the nipples and that they're kind of pointing in the same direction. Um, any type of discharge coming from the nipple, any kind of dimpling or um, change in the in texture over the the, um, the chest wall are all things to look for as well as the things like lumps and including kind of checking and running into your armpits um, and checking for lymph nodes there. Um, so those are some of the kind of prevention strategies that we use there. But I really thank you for bringing, bringing that up and making sure that we don't leave out uh, our male counterparts and their risk for breast cancer. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And be safe on the road today. Will do. All right. Okay, Dr. Lewis, uh, we mentioned fiber. And when we actually really dig down into the the evidence that is prevalent in research studies about uh, how diet impacts cancer risk, um, fiber is one of the kind of strongest pieces of information that we have, and not just in breast cancer, but in colorectal cancer as well. And if we want to kind of focus in specifically on breast cancer, um, there was a pretty big what we call meta-analysis, and we've talked about different levels of evidence on this show before, and that a meta-analysis is when you take a whole bunch of studies and you're able to kind of 
pool them together to increase the number of, of participants. And we can only do that when, when certain factors match up in there, like the, the groups are similar, the interventions are similar, and those kinds of things. But this is a, a, a meta-analysis of about 10 different studies with over 700,000 uh, people. And what they found was that fiber had an inverse association with breast cancer. And when we talk about inverse relationship, that means as one goes up, the other goes down. So as fiber goes up, breast cancer risk went down. Um, and it was dose dependent. So that means that the the more the better, right? The higher the, the fiber intake, the lower the risk. And in particular, about a 7% reduction um, in risk for every increase of 10 grams of fiber. So uh, let's give some context to that. And what is a normal fiber intake on a daily basis? Sure. So um, for for both men and women, uh, 35, I would say about 35 mm -hmm. uh, to 40 grams is, is sort of recommended. A little higher for men. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, um, lower end could be 25, but I would recommend around 35. Yeah, absolutely. I'm the same way. So when you look at the kind of the actual guidelines, it's, you know, somewhere between 25 to 35, depending on, um, you know, male or female on that. But closer to 35 to 40 is really what I try and get my patients to if like weight loss, if we're desiring weight loss, or if we're trying to get uh, good control of blood glucose and those kinds of things, because it's, it's really important. What we don't want to have happen is that we increase fiber too quickly for folks, right? right? The average American right. has about 14 grams of fiber that they, that they right. eat in a day, day pattern. So we don't want to go from 14 to 40 overnight because you will have a lot of uncomfortable GI side effects from that, right? Right, right. So um, <laughs> that is that is definitely something to know because um, as we are increasing, let's say, you know, we're only eating one fruit a day or one vegetable a day. And so, you know, something as simple as um, every week I, I try to increase increase my intake um, of fruit and vegetable by one or half um, of fruit or half vegetable more serving, um, that would be good. And also thinking about adding water, additional water, to help, um, to help our GI tract get used to having more fiber. Um, one of the things that came to my mind as we were talking about fiber, I just want people to remember to take note that the fiber we're talking about is, comes from food. We're not talking about um, Metamucil and those kind of fiber supplements. Although that is um, good, we're looking more uh, at a holistic approach where um, the, the fiber comes from the, the plant food um, so that you can get the benefits of the, um, the vitamins and minerals as well. Um, but definitely increase your water and, and go slow. Yeah. And I usually recommend about an increase of about five grams of fiber per week when I start mm -hmm. to work with folks that are, mm -hmm. you know, trying to, to get more fiber. So if we're sitting at 
you know, 14 grams of, of fiber as our baseline. Then after the kind of first week or so of making nutritional changes, I'd hope we'd be somewhere around 19 or so grams of, of fiber per day. And that's usually something that can be done by adding one serving of a whole fruit or vegetable. And, you know, when I mean like a whole fruit, like the whole thing. So the, the peel, the you know, all of those things together in there. If it is something that the peel can be eaten on, that does not mean eat a whole orange. Uh, you would be you would be mad at me or a whole banana. Um, but if it's something like an apple, you know, uh, watch that really really well and you know consume the, the peel and that as well because it's different kind of fiber. We've got that soluble and that insoluble fiber, and they're both very very important for uh, for overall health, uh, weight loss, glucose control, decreased colon cancer risk, decreased cholesterol, all of those different kinds of things together. Uh, now, the kind of one thing I'd like for us to, to spend a few minutes talking on, because it is another one that I get a lot of questions about, is what about soy and breast cancer? Because it, it got a bad rap, and it's still getting a bad rap. Um, so what's the, what's the skinny on that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always sad to hear um, the same messages being perpetuated about um, fiber causing breast cancer or... Uh, increasing the risk of breast cancer. Um, overall in the literature, um, it's, it's shown time and time again that uh, soy is associated with um, lowering risk of breast cancer. And so um, the mechanisms that we can, you know, go back and forth and you can kind of clean it up if I, if I, um, if I don't say it the way I want to say it. But the, <laughs> okay. the, what people are really looking at is the phytoestrogen in soy. Mm-hmm. So there's estrogen that our body produces, and then there's the estrogen, the plant estrogen, the phytoestrogen that comes from soy. And so um, people tend to think that they're the same thing, and they're not. So once again, the estrogen that our body produces is not the same estrogen as um, the estrogen that comes from soy, the, the the structure is similar, but their effects and their effects are similar, but um, the outcomes are different. So, um, in terms of the mechanisms for um, breast cancer, um, it's the binding of the estrogen to estrogen receptor sites, and and typically like high estrogen levels tend to be associated with um, breast cancer, and so. Um, what the phytoestrogen does from the soil is actually compete with the same binding receptors in our body, but their effect is weaker. So what we end up seeing is that there's a competition for the same estrogen receptors. So the estrogen from our body is trying to bind on the same receptors as the ones in the soil, the, the phytoestrogen. Um, so essentially... When we have um, good moderate intakes of soy, we can actually prevent um, some of the estrogen from our body binding to the receptors, and that's the way that our risk is lowered um, for breast cancer in terms of the consumption of soy. So you can clean that up, Dr. Josie. <laughs> well, you did an, an excellent job with that, and the only thing I would add is just kind of where the bit of misinformation came from. 
And you know, that was back when they were looking at, in particular, hormone replacement therapy and looking at the trials mm-hmm. for that. And those trials actually kind of had to be halted because of uh, kind of the increase in, in cancer associated with, with estrogen supplementation in folks or the increased risk of different cardiovascular side effects and those kinds of things. And so because soy does have a phytoestrogen, it then kind of got lumped in with the we don't know, but we should be cautious because we know estrogen does this, so it's plausible that phytoestrogens could do it as well. And so that was a perfectly appropriate thing to do, you know, say we don't know yet. Let's let's look at it a little bit more. But once we have looked at it a little bit more, just like what you said, the, the phytoestrogens in soy actually compete for those binding sites. And when they bind, it then decreases um, the binding sites for our, our naturally occurring estrogen and thereby can decrease the risk of um, an estrogen um, uh, kind of uh, dependent tumor there. Um, and so it's just kind of still perpetuated and hung around that soy is is bad uh, for you there. And it's, it's not. You mentioned a moderate intake of that um, and from whole food sources as well. You know, so I usually have right. about a serving of soy a day. Um, I prefer it if it is the actual soybean, like an edamame or something like that. Um, yeah. But I'll also use, you know, a tofu um, as well. And then I use soy milk for my, my dairy replacer there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Fiona Lewis, and we've been talking about lifestyle modifications to uh, reduce breast cancer risk. And we've spent a good chunk of time talking about uh, the nutrition piece of that. And so if you've missed any of that content, you can always check us out on our on the podcast uh, by searching for Southern Remedy, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll spend the last little bit of time talking about uh, physical activity. But before we do that, just see, just saw that we have a caller on the line. So we'll go ahead and say good morning to Mary from Oxford. Yes, I, this hasn't anything to do with what you're talking about. I'm <laughs> <Okay>. kind of concerned. <laughs> um, I've been taking collagen peptides and I've had a, a little about with the breast cancer and uh, someone 
mentioned to me that uh, they had heard that taking collagen peptides contributes to breast cancer, and I was wondering if you have any information about that. Hmm. Okay, so um, I'm looking real quick. Off the top of my head, I don't see kind of the relationship between that. Um, Fiona, do you know anything related to that? Um, I couldn't hear. I can hear. Um, well. Oh, you couldn't hear the question. So she is has been taking collagen peptides as a, as a supplement, and she has a history of breast cancer. And someone had told her that it was was bad for breast cancer in terms of collagen supplementation. I uh, I haven't heard anything about the link between collagen supplementation and breast cancer. So yeah, right. I'm not sure about that one. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't hear that. Yeah, so she said she hadn't heard anything about that, and so I was just doing a quick search to see if I saw anything. And actually the things that I see on just in a quick, quick search is that some people have actually kind of promoted collagen um, for kind of cancer reduction. But in general, I usually don't recommend collagen supplements for the majority of people just because I don't feel like they're necessary and if they don't really add anything to the overall health um, uh, kind of outcomes that people are looking for. So I don't know off the top of my head, and I would prefer to do a much better kind of literature search to, to see if there's anything going on there um, to make sure that, you know, I don't kind of give you any, any bad advice there. But uh, I will do some more digging on that. And if you follow me over on Facebook, I'll, be, I'll post some information over there. If not, if you want to send us an email to fit at mtbonline.org, I'll be happy to send you the information that I find, okay? Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for giving us a call today. All right. Uh, Thinking back to physical activity, uh, it's important, again, that perfection is not required. So it's very easy to kind of spout off guidelines, right, for physical activity being, you know, 150 minutes per week of aerobic activity and two to three days of muscle strengthening activity. And while that's good to know, and it can be an ultimate goal, if you are not currently physically active, that can seem relatively daunting, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what I love about um, lifestyle changes, because we can tailor them to our lifestyles and we can start wherever we are. Um, one of the things I love to do on my um, Facebook Instant Recess um, web show is to actually encourage people to get up while they're watching me or listening to me talk about whatever it is I'm talking about. Let's spend some time getting up and dancing. If you can dance, you know, if you're able to stand up and move a little bit, move a little bit for a few minutes so that we think about physical activity in a way that is um, – that is doable. Um, whether you're going to get up and move a little bit by dancing with me or you're going to go take a little walk, um, push away from your desk if you're at work or if you're Zooming, if we're all in Zoom, um, just to think about physical, have physical activity in the forefront of our minds and then think about the ways that the, the small changes, the small ways that we can actually include it throughout our day because not everybody is going to have the opportunity to um, do 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. So however we can kind of break it up throughout the day in ways that are not only like, yes, let's do it, but also enjoyable, um, I think that's where the wins actually happen. 
Yeah. And when we look at the kind of available data that's out there, what we see is that any activity over just mm-hmm. kind of your regular activities of daily living, mm-hmm. like getting up and going to the bathroom or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, brushing your hair and brushing your teeth and, and those kinds of things, anything over that is beneficial in terms of heart health, in terms of respiratory health, and also in terms of, of reducing the risk of cancer. And so don't be intimidated, right? Don't think you've got to do even five minutes of anything, but little changes, right? Maybe you park three or four spaces farther away at the grocery store, right? Not even at the back of the the parking lot, but just a couple of spaces farther away. Or you take one flight of stairs, right? If you work on the fifth floor or something, you don't have to take all those stairs to make a difference. But take one flight of stairs and then take the elevator the rest of the way. And gradually increase those things as you become more confident and as you become more able to do those things because they will add up. And if all you can do is stand up right now, like you don't even feel like you can walk, then just stand up. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast.